but it was probably something to do with your uterus not being able to contract effectively, which is the most common reason that people hemorrhage. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, guys. This week, I've got an Ask Me Anything episode featuring three in-depth questions that were left on the podcast hotline. It is so fun for me to feature your voices and answer questions you really want to know the answer to. So if you've got a burning question about pregnancy, birth, or postpartum that you'd like me to answer on the show, all you have to do is call 919-213-8719 and leave me a voicemail. That's it. No one answers the phone. You just have to leave a quick and easy voicemail. Okay, so this week's I am covering questions about the placenta, the best time to get an epidural to potentially avoid blood pressure related side effects, postpartum hemorrhages, particularly if you've had one before, and if there are any specific things that moms can do in their second pregnancy. If you love episodes where it's just me answering questions, I recommend listening to episode 168 next, which has the same format as this one. All right, let's jump right in. Hi, Liesl. Love your podcast. I found it from my twin sister who's also pregnant and I've been listening to it ever since I discovered it. I found out from my provider that I have an ancillary lobe or like additional lobe on my placenta. She said it's not a big deal and that it should just they just need to know to make sure that everything comes out when I push out the placenta when I deliver. I did some Google research on my own and freaked myself out about it can cause additional bleeding, for example, is one of the risks if it doesn't all come out. So just wondered if you could address the question, what kind of complications can arise when you have an ancillary lobe on the placenta, or is it pretty normal that it all comes out when you push the placenta out? Okay, thanks. Oh, this is a good question to start off with. And how cool to be pregnant at the same time with your twin sister. That's got to be pretty rare. <laughs> or maybe it's not. I don't know. I guess you're twins. And maybe you get married at the same time. You have babies at the same time. I don't know. But that's pretty cool. So your question is about these extra lobe or lobes. Sometimes there's multiple uh, extra lobes on your placenta. There's a lot of things that can be abnormal about your placenta or complications that can arise during your pregnancy or during labor that affects the placenta, which can affect baby, you, bleeding, all this stuff. Okay, so one of them is if you have possibly this extra lobe that grows onto your placenta and Basically, what happens is you have your placenta that grows, and then there's a little tiny blood vessel that kind of goes through the membrane, and it branches off and creates this like extra little placenta over here. It doesn't have an umbilical cord or anything. It's just like a extra growth, you know, that's just off over here and not really doing much of anything for 
baby. Um, it's just kind of like this extra thing that's over there. And they normally don't affect your pregnancy at all. But like you said, yes, what they can affect is your labor and delivery experience. And you do now have a little bit of an increased risk for hemorrhaging. But I will say most often the moms who hemorrhage when they have this type of condition, it's because we don't know about it beforehand. So we're not really prepared for this mom to have possibly had this little extra bit of placenta up in there because your placenta is delivered and your provider's like, okay, you know, all done. And then you're bleeding, 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 bleeding. And it's like, what's going on? Why is she bleeding? Is there, and then long behold, you get a manual extraction. Oh, there's this extra low. What? But hey, you had an ultrasound and it was detected on your ultrasound. So that is really great because we know about it beforehand and we can anticipate that this might possibly happen. It's probably not going to. The rate of having a retained placenta from just having an accessory lobe is pretty, pretty low, but it's even lower for your case because we know about it beforehand. So once you deliver, your provider will deliver the placenta. It'll come out and Unless you have a total retained placenta, which is possible, but usually when we talk about retained placentas and you have one of these extra lobes, the retained placenta is that extra lobe. It's not the whole placenta, okay? So in your case, let's say you go in, you deliver your baby, and then you deliver your placenta and your provider knows about this extra lobe on there. So as he or she is delivering the placenta, they're like, oh, okay, here's the extra lobe. We got all the placenta. We're good. Or they say, "Uh uh-oh, I know you had an ultrasound and you saw that this extra accessory lobe was on here. Where is it? Okay, let's make sure we are getting all of this placenta because it's not on here. Now, I know I've talked about retained placentas before on the podcast only a few episodes ago, I think. They are not so fun to deal with, especially if you have to have a manual extraction of your placenta, which is really what we're trying to avoid because it's not so fun. I've never had one personally, but it's not so fun. So one thing to note that I wanted to tell you guys, I don't think I said it on the other episode, was sometimes what your provider can do, and there is some evidence to show that this can reduce the likelihood of a manual extraction is they can take a little bit of Pitocin, about I think 10 units of Pitocin, and they can inject it into your umbilical cord of your placenta. And that can help it dislodge from your uterine wall. Now, In your case, for some reason, if that's still up there and your placenta with the umbilical cord already came off, obviously we can't do that. But let's say you're waiting and it's been 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes and your provider's like, okay, this first part of the placenta is not coming out yet. And I know she's got this accessory lobe as well. So like, let's try and do some management on the front end instead of, you know, doing things on the back end to help the possible extra hemorrhage that might happen. So they might take this 10 units of Pitocin and inject it in your umbilical cord to help that placenta dislodge. Are you in search of the perfect pump for your breastfeeding days? Proven to provide more milk in less time, the Motif Luna is a powerful breast pump that's built for modern motherhood and covered by insurance. With a battery-powered or non-battery version, the Luna is perfect for today's busy mom. 
The Motif Luna Breast Pump is lightweight and sleek, quiet and customizable, so you can quickly find what works best for you and your baby. The Luna also features a backlit LCD screen, built-in nightlight, closed system, quiet motor, and auto shutoff. And the battery-powered model gives you even more freedom and flexibility with a rechargeable battery that lasts over two hours. But beyond the features and ease of use, the Luna works. In a third-party study, five out of six moms reported more milk and less time than the leading pump brands. As a pumping mama, I personally used and loved my Luna pump. The expression mode works to express milk as efficiently as possible, while the massage mode would stimulate my letdown by mimicking my baby's natural nursing pattern. Sophisticated, strong, and soothing, covered by insurance, get ready to make your pumping days easier with the Motif Luna. To learn more about the Luna and order one for your breastfeeding and pumping journey, head on over to MotifMedical.com. And as a special offer for all MLN podcast listeners, you can get 15% off site-wide, including the Luna plus all supplies and accessories with the code MLN23. Some exclusions may apply. That's code MLN23 for 15% off site-wide at MotifMedical.com. I will say, ending this question, I know you you admitted to it. It's fine. <laughs> you did your Google research. And Google is good for some things. When you're pregnant, it's not so good, especially if you have something. I did the same thing, you guys. I had an anatomy scan. I think it was with Ryland. And gosh, what did he have? It was some sort of brain. I forget now. I can't remember. But it was something. And obviously, that's the first thing you do. You go on Google and you're like, what the heck is this? And what are the complications? And what can happen? Try your absolute hardest to control the urge of not going down the rabbit hole of Google. If for some reason you go to your anatomy scan or you get some blood work done or something, you know, your provider tells you something, you can definitely increase your anxiety. But to answer your question in a couple sentences, having that one of those extra lobes is actually fairly common. I think it's like one to two percent of pregnancies. And most of the time it comes out just fine. Your placenta comes out. And honestly, a lot of times we'll have somebody come in and they deliver and their placenta is delivered. And then we're looking at the placenta afterwards. We're like, oh, oh, look, here's this extra little thing off to the side. And nobody knew. And it came out just fine. In your case, we know about it before too, which is even better, like I said, because we can anticipate it and your provider knows exactly what to look for when delivering that placenta. All right, next question. Hello, my question is about epidurals. I got an induction and I was on Pitocin, which didn't help, and then my water was manually broken. After that, my pain increased a lot and I got an epidural. But my heart rate started to drop. My daughter's heart rate, which was obviously the bigger concern, also started to drop. And I got an emergency C-section. But the question that I have is whether or not there's a better timing for epidurals so that we could avoid a C-section. I definitely don't want another C-section, but I'm not sure if I could endure the pain of not having one, not having an epidural. So please let me know if there's a way to time that for those better so that it may not have those kind of effects. Thank you. Okay. Epidurals and drop in heart rates and emergency C-sections. Not a good day. Not a good day at all. 
So you guys know this, probably if you've listened to the podcast before I talk about this, when I talk about epidurals, that one of the most common side effects, it's fairly rare, it doesn't happen to a ton of patients, but the most common side effect that happens when you get an epidural is your blood pressure can drop and that can affect baby's heart rate because your blood pressure drops and your blood kind of shunts away from your placenta and your blood carries oxygen that your that your baby needs so there's not as much blood going to your placenta and then your baby's like oh no i'm going to drop my heart rate so what we do to help that is we give you medications we do positional changes we give you fluids Nine times out of 10, this fixes it and we can resuscitate baby. Everything's fine. And it just happens for, you know, this period right after you get an epidural. What doesn't happen so much is what you just explained, where is your story where you got an epidural, your heart rate dropped, baby's heart rate dropped, your blood pressure dropped, and it didn't get fixed. And to fix it, we had to get baby out in an emergency C-section. Now, to answer your question about timing your epidural, that is actually pretty insignificant to the whole picture here. It really does not matter when you get that epidural in terms of whether or not you're going to have certain side effects. When we talk about timing epidurals, we're usually talking about, okay, when's the best time to get one? Should I be four centimeters or eight centimeters or whatever? And I've gone over that question as well. But yeah, there's no significance at all in terms of whether you get your epidural when you're one centimeter, when labor is first starting, or when you get your water broken, or when you are about to push your baby out or something, you get it last minute. You can have these side effects happen at any point. What I will say is the only time that the timing of getting your epidural might play a part in is if your baby's heart rate is pretty unstable during labor, like you're laboring and we're looking at your strip and your baby's had some D cells and it's not looking so great. And then you get this epidural that can possibly drop your blood pressure, right? Have this side effect and your baby has already kind of been unstable. And now, uh uh-oh, your blood pressure dropped and your baby's not getting as much blood flow and it's not able to recover as easily. So that would be the only thing I would recommend to you is I would just explain this to your nurses next time what happened and say, I want to have clear communication with you guys and make sure that my baby's doing really well and stable before I get this epidural because this is what happened to me last time. I'm not sure if my baby was stable or not, but I just really want to make sure that baby is doing okay before I get my epidural. But in terms of the timing of when to get it during your labor really is insignificant. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, hi, Liesl, I wanted a natural birth, but I took your epidural course just to keep an open mind. I was able to have a natural birth and I knew exactly what was happening throughout my labor, even though I am a first time mom. I went in at 2 p.m. and was six centimeters dilated and gave birth at 513 p.m. That's pretty quick. I was so scared about labor and delivery, but I did so well. Even my nurses said so. I had such a positive experience, and I always recommend your page and resources to my friends and colleagues. Your page and your birth course helped me prepare so much, and I thank you all the way from 
Oh, Bhutan. I think that's how you say that country. Cool. A tiny Himalayan kingdom. Whoa. That I doubt you even know exists. Please keep doing what you do. Oh my gosh. Okay. Hold on. We're going to go look that up really quick, guys. Okay. I did some Googling. It's pronounced Bhutan and it's a country of South Asia and in South Central Asia located on the eastern ridges of the Himalayas, historically a remote kingdom. Bhutan became less isolated in the second half of the 20th century and consequently the pace of change began to accelerate with improvements in transportation by the early 21st century. A trip from the Indian border to the Bhutanese capital I don't know how to say this one, Timpu, that once took six days by mule, dang, could be made in just a few hours by car along a winding mountain road from the border town of, can't say this one, Funch, Funchaling. Interesting. I love it. I love learning new things. That's so cool. Who knew? You know, you got a little geography lesson here on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast today. If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. Okay, now let's move on to the last question. Hi, Lisa. Greetings from Atlanta. Thank you for all you do. You are so appreciated. I wanted to ask you two questions. After hearing Hannah's question about a retained placenta, I just have general questions about postpartum hemorrhaging. For context, I delivered my daughter at 37 weeks after being emergency induced due to high blood pressure, and I did end up postpartum hemorrhaging, though I still don't know what exactly caused it. And while I'm grateful everything is okay, it's definitely left me wondering if there's anything you'd recommend doing differently in pregnancy the second time around, and if there's any precautions that you see that are taken in labor and delivery if someone has hemorrhaged in the past, and if it isn't clear what exactly caused it. I know that's a mouthful. And then my second question is just a broad question of anything that you would advise for moms to do for pregnancy number two that we wouldn't think of or that you've seen has been very beneficial and has been successful for other moms as they have baby number two. Thank you so much. We are just all about bleeding today. Let's talk about it. So postpartum hemorrhage. From what you said, I heard 37 weeks emergency induction for blood pressure management, which is not uncommon if you have severe range blood pressures after 37 weeks. That is the recommendation that you get induced. What I would like to know and would make a little bit more sense in terms of the hemorrhage is if you had preeclampsia and you were on magnesium during your labor, because when you're on magnesium, you definitely have an increased risk for having a postpartum hemorrhage. But I'm assuming that you weren't because I think you would probably say that in your question. But if you were, I would say that's a pretty good indication of potentially why you hemorrhaged. Additionally, inductions, especially like really, really long inductions where you're on Pitocin for like long, long time, that uterus can get real tired. (laughs) And then once you deliver, it's like, I don't want to contract anymore. I'm just going to bleed. So that may have been what happened too, but obviously don't exactly know. Now let's go into your question about what things we do in preparation for a potential hemorrhage if we have a patient that has had one in the past. The recurrence rate for a postpartum hemorrhage is about 5 to 15%, which is pretty high 
So that does bump your risk up quite a bit. And that's a little flag on your chart. If you've had one before, I'm like, okay, we are doing all the things. If I see a little extra blood here, we're not stopped. We're giving this, we're doing this, and then we're doing this. We are not going to try and not have this happen again. Because honestly, that is really one of the main reasons why sometimes postpartum hemorrhages, like they can get out of control is because we're not anticipating it. And this is a first time mom, or this is a mom who doesn't have any history and nobody was expecting it. And oh my gosh, all of a sudden she's hemorrhaging. And like, we didn't really have any plan or any idea that she was going to hemorrhage. So when we do have an idea, obviously it can help quite a bit because we kind of are anticipating it and we're just kind of ready for the emergency if it happens. Some of the things that we would do is Well, at least at my hospital, we have this like, it's called postpartum hemorrhage cart. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's this big old cart that you can just roll into a patient's room or kind of right outside our door. And it's stocked with like every sort of type of supplies that we would need in case she starts to hemorrhage. So it's right there, right at access. We don't have to say, hey, so-and-so nurse, like go grab a bakery or go grab this. This patient's hemorrhaging. It's like all right there for us. So that would be number one would happen. And I mean, I say my hospital, but I think most hospitals are doing that sort of thing, having this like, whether it's a card or a kit or something at the bedside for these patients that either have a history or just more of risk for a hemorrhage. Now, because you're Hemorrhage was likely a tone issue. Now, like I said, we don't know the exact cause, but it was probably something to do with your uterus not being able to contract effectively, which is the most common reason that people hemorrhage. There's a couple other reasons for hemorrhages, like if you have a really bad tear or you have a cervical tear, that can definitely cause a hemorrhage, some sort of trauma. If you have a bleeding disorder, that can obviously cause excess bleeding and a postpartum hemorrhage. Or the other big reason that a hemorrhage might happen is what we've already talked about, having a tissue. It's four T's. Tone, trauma, tissue, thrombin. Okay, so thrombin is bleeding disorder. Trauma is, you know, you have a tear or something that's causing it. And then tissue is if you have retained placental tissue up in there that's causing this bleeding. And then tone is the most common one, just basically where your uterus is tired and it just does not want to contract. Because yours was probably tone, providers are usually quick to treat that bleeding like once it's starting to happen with these medications that help to contract your uterus. So most patients will get Pitocin after delivery, that's pretty standard, at least here in the US. That is just really helpful for helping your uterus to contract and control that bleeding. But there are a couple other medications that can be used if there's this excess bleeding. So if for some reason you do have this risk, your provider will probably be, you know, more apt to give you these medications sooner and not just say, okay, like let's just see how it's going. No, she's starting to bleed. Let's just go ahead and treat it on the front end. I would also say I probably would do a little bit more fundal massaging to a patient that has had a previous hemorrhage just to be sure that we're on top of it because the last thing I would want to do is miss it, you know? So unfortunately, those rubs are not so fun, but that is like one of the best ways to spot a hemorrhage from the get-go when it's tone-related. We're doing a fundal rub and we're seeing this excess bleeding or these clots come out and I'm feeling it. It's not hard. It's like 
what we call boggy or kind of soft and it's just mushy and you just can't get it to contract. Not sure what you should be learning and doing in each week of pregnancy to feel your best and get prepared for birth? I know that when you're pregnant, it can feel impossible to stay on top of all the new stuff going on with your body, your baby, and your bulging at the seams to-do list. That's why I created the free weekly pregnancy series. Sign up to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. That's all one word, mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant. See you in your inbox real soon. Now let's move into your other question about just general things that I would recommend for a second pregnancy. I've had two babies, so I will go off my personal experience of things that I did and didn't do in my second pregnancy. So I have a few here. Number one, get yourself a good damn baby carrier. I don't know how old your other child is, even like a preschooler, like an older kid, you're probably going to be wearing your baby a lot. But especially if your baby's a toddler, you need your hands to take care of a toddler. And having a really good baby carrier is like critical. You know, maybe you used a a baby carrier with your first one and you loved it. Stick with it. Cool. You know, it's good. But if you didn't, Start doing some research and, you know, maybe start trying out some baby carriers. Maybe you have some friends who have some and, you know, you can just kind of ask around or read reviews, but get a baby carrier that is like good, high quality because you're probably going to be using that thing a whole lot. Number two, get your older child involved in preparation for this baby. Talk about baby a lot. Talk about what's going to happen. I don't know exactly how old your kiddo is, but you know, there's different things you can address with them based on their age. But I like to tell moms to include your oldest child in things like prepping the nursery, you know, like, hey, do you like this paint color or do you like this paint color? Or where do you think the diaper should go? Or should we do elephants in here? Or do you think baby brother's going to like fish? Or hey, can you help me fold these clothes? Or if they're old enough, doing a little bit of role play with them. This is something that I did with Walter towards the end is we kind of played like it's almost like a fire drill. Okay, so I would be, you know, on in the chair and I would say, Walter, baby, brother or sister. I didn't know if he was boy or girl. The baby is crying and I need to change the diaper. Can you help? And we would prep for this. So Walter would go get a diaper. and Here's the wipes, mom. And then I would pretend like I'm changing the diaper And then I would give him the old diaper and he would go over and, you know, not throw it in the trash, but pretend to throw it in the trash. Or we would do another one where, oh, the baby's crying. Like, what can you do? What are some things that you can do to help the baby? Oh, you can sing to the baby or you can make silly faces at the baby. Just talking about the baby so much and getting them involved in this way, having conversations like this, if they're old enough, obviously, is so beneficial and so fun for you too. Another thing I did with Walter was I gave him like a present (laughs) from the baby, which he's very gift motivated. His love language is probably going to (laughs) be gifts because that child loves a present. Oh my gosh. So what I did was I had like a baby present. So I said, when the baby is born, the baby's going to bring you a present, you know, because I kind of wanted to be like Christmas morning. You know, I didn't want it to be the baby's here and the baby's crying. I wanted the baby to bring something to Walter. So I did this little basket. I got him like 
little kid camera. I got him some coloring books, I think. I got him, gosh, what else did I put in there? Now I can't remember. I think it's my highlight somewhere. I don't remember. If I can find it, I'll put the link in the show notes page. But basically, I just like had a big basket of little toys and like little things that he liked that came from the baby. And he got it when I came home from the hospital with Ryland. And that was the first thing he said when he walked in the door. Where's my present? Where's my present? Not like, oh, look at the bed. Where's my present, mom? <laughs> and the cool thing about giving him a present, it kind of kept him busy for a couple weeks, honestly. I think I would probably go back and maybe give him that basket in stages because he definitely played with all of his stuff for a while. He didn't get tired of his stuff for a couple weeks, I would say. But I think to make it last even longer, I would give him those little presents in stages. <laughs> because really, that is one of the hardest things when you are a second time mom is you're used to having your hands we talked about the baby carrier, <laughs> but you're used to having, you know, all your time and energy for your first child. And now you have this second baby that you have to take care of. So you feel like you just need more time to just devote to both of your children. So you kind of need some stuff <laughs> for your older child to do maybe while you're nursing your baby or, you know, changing baby or doing something. You know, obviously if you're breastfeeding, there's going to be a lot of time spent just sitting and breastfeeding baby. So having something for your preschooler to do is very helpful. And then number three, the last thing I will say, take lots of pictures during your pregnancy. I feel like I did not take very many pictures during my pregnancy. I took so many when I was pregnant for the first time. It was my first baby because, you know, you're all excited. But the second pregnancy, you're like, it's just, it, I kind of look the same and whatever, you know, you take a few just to compare, but take pictures. You're going to want to go back and just look at that second pregnancy, just like you go back and look at your first one. So just kind of keep that in the forefront of your mind that, even though sometimes it's a pain in the butt to take these bump pictures, take them. And oh my gosh, I would go back. I didn't do maternity, like actual nice maternity pictures with either of my kids. Do that. If you can afford it and you know you have the means to take maternity pictures where you get all dressed up in a pre-dress and you feel like a princess, get some maternity pictures. You won't regret it. They're so pretty. And I wish I had done it with both of mine, especially with my second because I didn't do it with my first. And he was born during peak COVID. So things were a little bit crazy back then. I can't completely blame it on that because I could have done outdoor pictures and blah, 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 blah. But anyways, that's the last tip. Take lots of pictures, even though it's your second pregnancy. All right, guys, that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Next week on the podcast, I have a pretty heavy episode for you. And just disclaimer, if you tune in, it's going to be pretty triggering for a good amount of people because we're going to be talking about maternal death. So it's a really, really important episode that I'm very proud to put out, but it is heavy. So stay tuned for that one and I will see you guys next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. 
And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth no matter how you deliver.